Mm-hmm. Welcome to the House of Hoosier podcast. I'm your host, uh, Mr. A.J. Guyton, former Hoosier alum. I'm here with another Hoosier alum, a, a former Hoosier coach who's now assistant coach at Cincinnati, Mike Roberts. Mike, what's going on, my brother? It's good to be on here, A.J. Everything's good. You know, life's a little bit in flux, m- moving, moving again, but, but that's part of coaching and things are good, man. I'm happy to be on here. Man, I was supposed to have you on a few weeks ago, but you got stricken a little bit, looking good. Got your, yeah. got your, got your life back. You look lively, man. Yeah, I, I I've gotten really spot. sick, man, with some COVID stuff. So I'm doing better, okay. and I'm happy to be doing better, man. All right, cool, cool. So let's get started here. I want to start right now with what I call my Hoosier team, man. I'm gonna have, you, I'm gonna ask you ten questions. Only Hoosiers, you as a Hoosier can answer. Uh, first question is, what dorm or apartment uh, complex did you stay in on campus during your time as a player? So I never lived in a dorm. By the time I came along, uh, I think it was the group right before you. Maybe there were some reasons not having them in the dorms. I'm not talking about you. So we know. I, lived, I lived in uh, the place in there between 14th and 15th. I want to say Walnut. Mm-hmm. Can't remember the name of the complex because I lived okay. in five, five of them. And then the next year, my sophomore year, Coverdale, and I lived in a spot off of uh, 14th. So we lived real close to the stadium and apartments. Uh, Andre Owens is my roommate my freshman year. And so mm-hmm. I never really got to experience the dorm. Roommates with Cove, huh? We got to talk about that later on. <laughs> <laughs> I have to write Some that. That's for off air. <laughs> I had Cuff on. He was excellent, man. Um, three restaurants you recommend when people ask when they come to Bloomington? Number one would be Malibu Grill. That's my mm-hmm. go-to. I love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, then Little Zagrabs, of course. I'm not a huge steak guy, but, like, you know, it's, it's meat and potatoes. It's Indiana, and that's as good as it gets on that. Yep. And then, you know, I'm not supposed to be, but I'm a pizza guy. So I, I go back and forth between Mother Bears and Pizza X. I like them both, you know. So I guess the third one's not a restaurant, but I, but that's a Bloomington staple, right? Hey, it's a staple, baby. I hope they hear that so they can sponsor us. Um, what's the, what was the most happening place to hang out when you were in school? The most happening place? Mm-hmm. I mean, probably the union during the day. You know, that was a big hangout spot. And then at night. You know, probably Knicks. You know, we hung yeah, out at Knicks yeah. some, and and, uh, and and then also we just did a lot of apartment parties and stuff like that. But you know, during the normal school day, uh, the union was you know it's a huge union, and there was a big little cafeteria spot there on that second level. Everybody, everybody was. I mean, I think you remember like Coach Knight used to even do breakfast sometimes. There were recruits in that little area, right? So, okay. So so we go there a lot, and then mm-hmm. you know there was a lot of athletes and people you knew just kind of hanging out there. Right, right. What what was your most memorable game as a player? The most memorable, there was two memorable games. Okay. Um, and to be frank, I didn't play in either. I'll give you two that I was a part of the team and then one where I played in. Okay. Um, I was a true freshman when uh, Coach Davis had taken over on an interim basis and we played Michigan State and they ranked number one and Kirk hit that shot. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, we had a crazy dog pile and and uh, that that was, I think, one of the games that, you know, kind of got that team in a, in a good rhythm down the stretch, even though wow. we got upset in the first round, we played great in the big 10 tournament. And that was a huge win. Cause you know, they had won the natty the year before Yeah, they were, they were ranked number one and they were rolling. And so that was a huge win. And then I was also, I was a medical red shirt that year, but we, we beat Duke in the sweet 16, you know, awesome. that was one of those games where, you know, if we played that team a hundred times, we probably win one or two that we got them that day. You got them. <laughs> you know, the 40 minute college game and, and the shot clock, it was in our favor. And it was a, a memorable game that I think that game kind of represented like what that team was all about. You know, we maybe weren't the most talented, but we were a tough out. We were able to get, you know, we we're able to get that done. Um, and then my red shirt sophomore year, uh, we played Iowa at home 
And I mean, as, as people on here know, I didn't, I only really played a lot two of my five years I was there, but down that, that stretch, I was playing a lot. So I played like 20 minutes against okay. Iowa in a big game mm-hmm. at home, you know, uh, it was a big win that helped make sure we got in the tournament. So Absolutely. for me, Who was that, playing for Iowa at that time. So at that time, uh, the big boy that had a cup of coffee with uh, the Bulls was was, was on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wrecker had just graduated. Um, oh, okay. Trying to think of the name of the point guard. He's a Division two coach now. He was a really good player, scoring mm-hmm. guard. They, oh, they had a good team. You know, we were both tournament team. level teams and. Uh, it was a good game, and, and obviously I, I got to play a lot, and I thought I contributed to the win. That was a huge game. Absolutely. What was, in your opinion, the loudest place in the Big Ten to play outside of Assembly Hall? The loudest? Yeah, I mean, the the place that I think was the loudest when I was playing was mm. Illinois. That Orange right. Crush was wild. You know, <laughs> yeah. Self had it rocking, and then Coach Weber had it. So when I was in school, Illinois was always really good. Yeah. That was a pretty hostile rivalry. That was loud. Uh, Michigan State was loud. Yeah, uh, I'd exactly. say Illinois won, Michigan State two. You know, we never had a lot of success there. Wisconsin was tough, but it, I wouldn't say it's because it was so loud. Yeah, yeah. Cold yeah. that damn ice. It was cold. <laughs> you know, <laughs> shoot around. You like you need it. You know, yeah. it was brutal. <laughs> Definitely, I, I, I would throw Purdue in there. Did you win at Purdue? Yeah, we won. Uh, I think in my five years, I think we won four times at Purdue. You oh, know, one win. When uh, I was coming in, that was kind of the transition time between Coach Katie and Coach Painter. Okay. And, and so at that time, I mean, don't get me wrong, our respect level's high for them after what they've just done to us. But we, we had a good little run. Our program was in a little bit better spot at that time. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. What's, what's your favorite Mike Davis memory? My favorite memory of Coach Davis, um, I got a lot of them because, uh, you know, Coach treated me well. I really like him. But I think – just how happy he was when we went on that run to go to the championship mm-hmm. game. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was a memory that wasn't just, you know, specific to him, but just that team, uh, you know, we went through a lot when coach got let go and we won't get into that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. coach was an interim coach the year before. And a lot of people <laughs> doubted us and just uh, how gratifying it was for that whole group and right. especially him to get some validation, uh, to, to, you know, his work and him and Coach Trelo's work as coaches, you know. I mean, we got to the championship game. Obviously, we didn't get it done. But just the joy that that brought him and that whole group. Uh, absolutely. absolutely. You, you know, and then, and then you know, Coach and I got to know each other even better because I was an assistant at Rice University in Houston when he mm. was in UAB and we were in the same league. Okay. And, and so the reality is and when I finished playing, he Mike and I didn't communicate for a while. But right. then, you know, we, we reconnected and uh, – you know, the thing people don't realize about Mike is how good of a practice coach he is, man. He yeah. ran really good practices. Mm-hmm. We were always ready to compete. I thought, you know, I've coached against Mike, too, a lot. You know, so, right. I mean, I think as a coach, you have more intimate uh, knowledge of it. He always knows how to get his best player shots. Mm-hmm. So, like, you play against one of his teams, he's going to have the right players taking shots at the right times, and he's really good at – every single year figuring out the strengths of his best offensive players and getting them shots. And mm-hmm. I learned a lot from him, uh, but I guess that's not one specific memory, but I just remember throughout that whole, you know, trip to that championship game, uh, just seeing kind of like a weight lifted off of him, you know, cause people, Indiana is the best place, man. I love it. But some mm-hmm. people from the outside don't necessarily understand 
the pressure cooker that it can be. Right. I mean, I've only been, I've only been a role player and an assistant coach. I've never sat in that seat that he sat in. Mm -hmm. And I thought the way he managed that was admirable in a really tough situation. Yeah, especially looking back. I don't think we realized it then, but when you look back and say, hey, man, he took over first African-American coach to be yeah. at Indiana, you know what I mean? And for what he did and to keep Indiana relevant, was, was it was special. So I agree with you on that. Uh, you, you had a short time with uh, Coach Knight. Uh, we'll get into him a little later about, about your real interaction. But what was your favorite Coach Knight memory up to this point? Um. I mean, my favorite Coach Knight memory, to be honest, is the times when I was a GA form at Texas Tech and even yeah. recently mm -hmm. uh, when I was over at his house and got to interact with him kind of on a different level than just, just as a coach. You know, Coach Woodson and I went over there roughly like a month and a half ago before I left, and uh, he was having a really good day that day, and he was talking about fishing, and he was happy, smiling and happy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, that's, I've actually got a picture of it. Uh, I haven't framed it yet, but you know, Dr. Yeah, gave me a picture of it and it's, it's going up, you know, cause yeah. it's, it's a, it's a different picture than like him as a coach coaching me, you know? Right. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, the thing that I'll always remember about coaches, everything he ever promised me, he did. And you yeah. like know that, like, that's not, that's rare in this profession. Like right. you know, they came out to see me play as a high school senior, I was real skinny, uh, but I had some potential. So like the agreement was, Hey, you go to New Hampton, the prep school that I went to or Coverdale had gone the year before. And then, you know, we'll, we'll bring it to IU. Right. I knew about New Hampton because Steve Hart was from Terre Haute and he had played there. So I, I, I kind of, I knew about it. Um, mm -hmm. So I went there and he did what he said. And then, you know, when I finished playing, I ran into Pat at a final four. He's like, you want to be a GA and whatever coach said he was going to do, he did, you know, yeah. and like to a T, like it wasn't, yeah. He didn't promise a lot, but if he promised something, he was doing it, you know. And so that that's my, you know, those are my memories of coach, man. He treated me so good. I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. Uh, he got me my first paying job. You know, I was a GA foreman 05, 06 at Texas Tech. I was able to get my master's in a year. I mean, I remember sitting there listening to him make the call to Ben Braun to get me a, a paid job in this profession as a 26-year-old for a really good job as a video coordinator in the Pac-10. Right. You know, because of that, I was able to be an assistant in the Pac-10 the next year. I was the youngest assistant in the Pac-10, and then that was all coach. Right. You know, so, so I mean, I never – I got out of college debt-free, AJ, from where I'm coming from. That's a big deal. Yeah. Got my first paying job because of him. I'm still really close to him and Pat. You know, what they've done for me, uh, I can't thank him enough, you know. Definitely, definitely, man. Uh, we definitely going to get into that. Uh, what is uh, your, Who is your favorite IU player to watch of all time? Man, my 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 two favorite players, probably number one is Brian Evans. That's just because I'm from Terre Haute. And so, like, when I was a little kid in elementary school, my dad used to take me to those games and be like, watch him, you know. Yeah, wow. And uh, I was a 6'8 guy, but I couldn't cheat worth a damn like <laughs> Brian. So I didn't end up being like that. But he was a guy that I looked up to, and I'd known him. You know, I'd worked – I was a camper. I was like a seven, eight, nine year old at the boys' club, and Brian was a worker. So, like, you know – we always followed him really close the whole time. And then obviously Calvert, you know, I mean, obviously yeah, when I was a kid, you know, in, in late elementary school, early middle school, you know, that team was unbelievable. And Calvert was one of, if not the best player in the big 10, one of the best, obviously the all time leading scorer. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I was a little kid when the 87 team won it and I'd watch the games, but I mean, I wasn't really watching it. And, but, but those two guys, Brian Evans and, and Calvert Chaney, Probably not definitely, definitely. And if you had to uh, do a Mount Rushmore of IU basketball, who would be on yours? So I'm going to go back pretty far. Um, mm -hmm. 
I would say Archie Dees has got to be in that conversation mm -hmm. uh, based upon what he did statistically. Right. Uh, you know, George McGinnis and Steve mm -hmm. Downing. Yeah. I don't know how many how many people's on Mount Rushmore I'm supposed to know here, but That's I don't. Four. That's four, three. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I'll go Dees, Downing, mm -hmm. May, Cheney. That's nice. I, I mean, there's different. a lot of like. Please know, there's a lot of other guys that are on yeah. the tip of my tongue. But you that's really put the whole '76 starting four on the on the right, list. Right, right, right. At the end of the day, Bugner, uh, uh, yeah. you know, Mays, and you no. know, so uh, that concludes. I mean, my Hoja Ten man, and I appreciate you participating in that. Let me tell you guys a little bit about our partners over at Bet River Sportsbook. If you haven't signed up with Bet Rivers yet, now's the time. Bet River Sportsbook is offering a $250 match bonus for your first deposit. But what sets them apart is that they require just one play through to turn your bonus into cash money. When you win at Bet River Sportsbook, they pay fast. And now it's even faster with rush pay instant approval for withdrawals. It's safe, it's secure, it's reliable. With March Madness around the corner, there's never been a better time to give Bet River Sportsbooks a try. Go to BetRivers.com today or download the BetRivers iOS app. Must be 21 years or older, gambling a problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. You mentioned a little earlier, man, your, your roots in Terre Haute. Um, did you did you grow up in Eugene, Oregon? Like, how how, how did you? So this is my history, yep. JJ. Um, mm -hmm. So I was born in Terre Haute. I lived there until I was 14 through eighth grade. Mm -hmm. um, my father worked for Sony Corporation as a project manager, wherever they were building factories in the world, to be frank, he would go right. and help set up. So they built a factory in, in Springfield, Oregon, which is a neighboring town to Eugene. Okay. So because of that, we moved to Eugene after my eighth grade year and I went to high school in Eugene. Oh, okay. But, gotcha. but, but you know, I, I would have been a freshman at Tarot North before my family moved. And like, I came back every summer and mm -hmm. still worked out and my, my family's on Terre Haute and Indy primarily. So although I didn't go to high school, uh, in Indiana. I mean, I kind of consider myself an Indiana guy. I mean, my, my first 24 years of my life, I lived 20 of them in Indiana or 20, 19 of them in Indiana, you know, Definitely. between, between graduating from IU and living in Terre Haute till I was 14. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that really explains the next question I was going to ask, what, what attracted you to basketball? You know, you grew up in Indiana. Yeah. Day. What is your earliest memories of uh, picking up a basketball and, and, and starting to develop in the game? So this is a really funny story. Like, obviously, lots of kids from Terre Haute, like my family, were diehard IU fans. We watched all the games on Channel 4. And uh, so my dad went to IU uh, back in the day, in the late 60s, early 70s. He did, uh, And so I was a big IU fan when I was little. We watched all the games. And I guess my favorite player was Uwe Blob. Now, I don't even remember this. Okay, <laughs> right. so like I was a little kid. So my dad took me to a practice when I was four or five and snuck me into the top of Assembly Hall and we got up in, in the top until they kicked us out. So, like, he always tells that story. It's funny. Yeah, you definitely. So, I mean, like, I was one of those kids that, I mean, this is embarrassing to say, but, like, I thought IU basketball was IU, right? Like, you yeah. know, I didn't know about college. I was just a little kid in Terre Haute. Like, we watch all the games on Channel 4. I'm like, oh, I got, you know, right. IU is basketball. You know, we watch every game. And so we were fans, and, and uh, you know, my family just followed it really close. Like I said, my dad had, had gone to IU, and uh, – so in my household, when IU was playing, we tried to watch, you know, and so right. we, we followed yeah. it close. And um, my so my high school coach in Eugene, Oregon, was a guy named Dean Stepp, 
whose son was Blake Step, was a great player at Gonzaga, got picked mm -hmm. in the second round. Um, mm -hmm. He's actually from Columbus, Indiana. He played for Stearman at Columbus North, and he was a really good uh, D3 athlete. So, like, when I started to get recruited, I was getting recruited really heavily by most of the Pac-10 mm -hmm. and a few Big 12 schools. Uh, but I was coming back to Terre Haute in the summer. So a guy named Jim Jones, who was actually Larry Bird's uh, high school guy back in the day, he was the coach at Terre Haute North, and I'd be working out there. And so he reached out to some folks at IU about, hey, man, this kid comes back all the time. Like, he's getting recruited by the pack. And then, you know, Pat Knight reached out, and they came out and watched you know, I'm just like, I was Indiana was my school, you know. And right. It's like, you know, I, it's always funny. People are like, tell me about your recruitment to IU. I was like, well, it doesn't exist in the modern world, you know. Pat right, came out, yeah. watched me work out, talked about the prep school thing. They get back two days later. They put coach on the phone, you know. He's mm -hmm. like, hey, you want to come? Yeah, I want to come. Here, here's Pat, you know. Right. <laughs> like, it's on, it, that's that's you know. So, like, it doesn't exist like that anymore, right? Uh, yeah. But, I mean, IU was my dream school. And so, I was willing to do anything I could to try to play there, you know. And, and I knew coming there that I could have gone some other places and had more of a primary role. And I knew that – you know, I was gonna have to earn everything and there was no guarantee I would play, but I wouldn't change it for anything, you know, looking back on it. Um, obviously my playing career was somewhat of a failure as a player in terms of what I was able to do individually, but my experience at the school, um, mm -hmm. you know, the teams I was on, the friendships I made, uh, I love the place, you know, right. still what was that first conversation with Coach Knight like that number, that first one where you pick up the phone, he showed his interest. Yeah, I mean, that was basically, like I said, Pat had come out, watched me work out in the fall, going mm -hmm. into my senior year. Uh, a couple weeks before that, I was in town in Terre Haute for a family reunion. Mm -hmm. I don't know how, but Pat had figured out the hotel we were having the family reunion at. You know, this is pre-cell phone deals, right? Yeah, yeah. So he gets a hold of us at the Holiday Inn, gets a hold of my dad, and he's like, hey, I hear you're hour away. You want to do an unofficial? So, you know, we came over and did the unofficial. Um mm -hmm. And I met some of the guys and we had a long sit down with Pat. And then like, you know, a couple of weeks later, Pat comes out, watches me work out. I do a good job, talks about the prep school thing. I'm like, I'm all in. Um, and I actually, like I knew Coverdale was already at New Hampton and I already, and I knew, I knew Coverdale. Like we'd grown up playing against each other in like 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, like our all team. Right, so yeah. we knew each other a little bit. And so, um, I was like, yeah, New Hampton. I mean, I, like I said, I knew about it because Steve Hart and Pat mm -hmm. had gone there. And so I, I, you know, I verbally agreed right there. I verbally committed, finished my senior year, went out to New Hampton. And, and you know, I, so I guess to answer your question, coach called me after Pat came to watch me work out. I was like, yeah, this kid's really good. Mm -hmm. And I committed. And then uh, I came on my official visit. Uh, you were still playing. It was your, it was your senior year. I came, okay. I think you're playing like athletes in action, you know, and, and he just had to sit down and you know how he is. He's like, Yep. You got to get, you know, you got to get stronger. You know, he was kind of like grabbing me, putting his arms on my shoulder, like, what are you away, son? You know, telling him we got to get stronger. And then uh, he would call me once a month in New Hampton and just check in on how I was doing. And so, you know, like it's hard to explain to a modern kid. It wasn't like it was fuzzy and warm and all that, but I knew he cared about me. And like I said, everything he said he was going to do, he did. So, I mean, I was all in. Definitely. I mean, but when you get there, you commit, you get there, and then, you know, the, the scandal broke loose my – into my senior year with Coach Knight. Yeah. Did you ever think about rescinding the scholarship? Or yeah, so out? it got real interesting, AJ. You probably remember this. So mm -hmm. the summer before your senior year, I was there. 
Oh, yeah. So I was playing pickup with you guys and, yeah. I, and I was working out. I had to lift at a different time because of the rules, but I played pickup with you guys every day. And, and yeah. so, I mean, I wasn't a part of the team, but I knew all you guys. And so I was super in out and I, that freshman group, which was George, uh, Tom and Newt, you know, yeah. I'd been with them all summer. So those are my guys. Like we're caught, we're talking every day and I was so excited to come. And then, you know, obviously I feel worse for you guys because it screwed up the end of your senior year and you guys had a good team, but, I remember that scandal hitting and, uh, you know, my dad was talking to Pat every day mm-hmm. and then people started hitting the, you know, the prep school I was at. And so it was kind of like a situation. Well, if coach isn't coming back, I was going to go to some different schools to be Frank. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, then they came up with the zero tolerance deal and then, uh, you know, we, we were, we were, it was back on, but yeah, there was a, you know, there was a month and a half period at the end of my prep school season at the end of your senior year where, yeah, it was touch and go. Like yeah. if coach wasn't coming back. I was probably going to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And my dad, you know, cell phones, like I said, they were barely going on. So my dad was talking to Pat every day about what the situation was. And then uh, I actually think he talked to, I think Clarence was the AD. I can't remember, you know, he talked yep. to the AD yep. and, and they kind of assured that coach was coming back. So then, you know, I, the, re- the rest is history, right? We showed right. up and then what happened in the fall happened in the fall. Yeah. yeah. That was a really uh, uneasy time, but I played well at prep school that year. So I had a lot of options if things went yeah. south, but I mean, obviously I, I wanted to be in Indiana. Absolutely. And then you end up staying with Mike Davis. Uh, did you come yeah. back and have a conversation with your tree lore or someone? How did that, how did that manifest? Yeah. So, you know, when the whole thing went down, it was, it was a tough time and mm-hmm. uh, we were a close team uh, even before the thing with coach Knight had, yeah. had occurred. Mm-hmm. Had occurred. I mean, you know how it was, man. Like we played pickup. It was a different time. You know, we did those team Indiana things, which we didn't love every moment of it. But we, if you were in your class, you remember you travel around the state together playing all those games. So we really knew each other. Uh, and, and to be frank, I didn't know Mike or John Trelo that well when they mm-hmm. they you know Mike got the job and John was his top assistant. You know, Pat was the lead recruiter on me. Yeah. Um, but the same thing. You know, Mike treated me well. It, the school had already started to be frank. So there was no, it was stupid of me to leave at that time with the rules. It was like, you know, my family, everybody's just like finish your freshman year. Um, and so my experience, when we had a pretty good year, we was a good team. Uh, the, the end wasn't great. You know, I, I met who became my wife at that time. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so um, I, I liked everything about the school and I just stuck, but yeah, yeah, it was, but it was an uneasy year. You know, there was a, it was just a crazy whirlwind from when I arrived there that summer to what happened with coach in September to Mike taking over to all the stuff around the team. And we finally got kind of the ship right with the team. We played great. You know, we were fourth seed in the tournament and got upset in the first round. So uh, there was a lot of uncertainty, but I thought that, like I said, Mike and John specifically did an unbelievable job with that team based on the circumstances. Like we started out a little rough for lots of reasons. I mean, there was so much, our fall was really interrupted. Uh, (laughs) And as you know, it it was, it was different back then. It wasn't like it is now where you had eight weeks in the summer and all this, it was like October 15th and then let's go. And and, and so that made it even harder because it's like right before official practice started, we got hit with that bomb, you know? So it, it took us a while to get our bearings as a team, but we did by, you know, conference at least. Definitely, definitely, man. It was it was a tumultuous time, but uh, you know, you ended up you know having a solid career. I mean, you, as you said earlier, you didn't play much as you wanted, didn't have a career you wanted, but you were part of some major experiences, man. What was that two thousand two 
championship run like? And, and as you think back at that run, there's always that moment during that season where it's maybe a turning point or something happened and everybody's perspective is different. So I want to know from your perspective as, as, a, as a part of the team, what do you think the turning point that propelled that team into greatness later on in the year? Yeah, that was a hard year for me because I had a really good summer going into that. Yeah. And I was going to be in the rotation on that team and was playing really well through the first three weeks of practice. Mm -hmm. And then I trashed my ankle slash leg. So oh. I became a red shirt. Oh. And we got most people don't realize, you know, this, you know, that team got off to a seven and six start. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, so we, we were playing well in the non-com, but we just couldn't get over the hump. You know, we lost to Butler right before Christmas and that was hard. And then the turning point sounds strange, but the first conference game of the year was at Northwestern mm -hmm. and uh, we hadn't been playing great. And George, one of my best friends, you know, he sprains his ankle at the tip mm -hmm. pretty bad. And we put Jared Odell basically in the starting lineup because, I mean, two seconds of the game and Jared, I, mean, I don't know the stats, but I mean, he played that game, AJ. He had like, you know, 18, 20, a bunch yeah. of boards. I mean, he played. And he was a really good complimentary player off of Jared. I mean, our team's deal wasn't complicated. You know, yeah. Jared wasn't a scorer in the NBA, but in college, he was a problem. Right. Yeah. So we'd get the ball to Jared and we'd play off of him. We had three shooters around him, and Jared was a really good cutter and really knew how to play off of JJ. And we, we trashed Northwestern that night, and Jared had a good game. Mm -hmm. And then from then on, I mean, even if we lost, I mean, we were in every game. Right. And then, you know, we got a really good rotation coming off the bench and we were bringing Newt off the bench all of a sudden. Uh, and he was a, I mean, a great, the best bench player in the league. And Moy was coming to his own. And Donald Perry was a really good freshman that was talented that could fill holes off the bench. And that was the top eight. And then George would come in. And I'd say, you know, that, that incident at Northwestern where it became clear that, Oda was in the starting lineup mm -hmm. and our roles became really defined after that um, mm -hmm. was the deal. And then the thing that we realized, and I don't know a specific time, but like we were an elite defensive team, you know, I'm not mm -hmm. into all the advanced analytics, but if you get on Kim Palm, which is one of those things, like I think that team finished first or second in the country defensively right. by that ranking. Yeah. And so okay. we always felt that if we could get any scoring on that night, you know, we were going to be there at the end because we could really guard. We were really versatile on defense. I mean, Jared could guard literally one through five. Like if there was a guy going off, we could just put right. Jared on him. It was over. And we had a lot of size, you know, like George, Jeff, and JJ, you know, they were at one time, I think all top 10, all time shot blockers in the big 10. So, I mean, like there was no easy buckets when you got to the rim, but, but I, I think to answer your question, that Northwestern, game and what our team became from then on was kind of like the thing like all right we can play with anybody looking back do you think uh you know red shirting helped to begin to spark your career as a coach because i'm sure at that time you had a lot of analyze ability to analyze and watch all the way you just described that was ex was extremely thorough and was perfect it's like i never thought about that before so do you think that might have been a spark where you always had that in your head no you know it, it, i think that had a lot to do with it i mean i think mm -hmm. they say like a lot of good coaches weren't very good players right <laughs> um or, or, or limited players right, right um, yeah. mm -hmm. but but i think it's this i my initial plan aj was to get a business degree from iu and then go to law school right. and that was still my plan uh going into my last year plan my fifth year plan my fifth year plan at iu um 
DJ White came in. So I played a lot my third year there and my fourth year there. Okay. And then DJ was a McDonald's All-American freshman my fifth year. So I didn't play a lot my last year either because DJ was a pro and I was. Right. You know? right. So um, so to answer your question, I, I was all set on my last year after I finished my fifth year, I was going to finish my master's in sports administration and then I was going to go to law school. Mm-hmm. But like you say, you know, my freshman year, I barely played in my second year. I was a medical. So, I mean, like you said, I mean, I got to sit down there and Dan Block and I, who is now out of it, but he was opposite at the time, you know, we'd sit down there and talk about it and, and mm-hmm. pay. So, I mean, I do think I developed a, a lot different perspective. The other thing was I was scout team three of my five years. So, you know, I learned a lot about, I, I mean, I had to know not just our plays, but the other team's plays. And so I did that for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Mike Davis, somebody said, Hey man, you should coach. And I thought, Oh, well, I'll just get my master's. And then, you know, I, I was down at the final four in St. Louis, my senior year. So my, it's funny. My boss now, Wes Miller was a bench player at Carolina on the 05 team. Mm-hmm. So I was just chilling. My career had just ended. He said, Hey, you want to go to the game? You know, St. Louis is right down the road. Sure. Why not? So mm-hmm. I was just going to St. Louis to hang out. He gave me tickets to the game. After the game, I ran into Pat and hadn't really talked to him since, you know, I, yeah. he got on a tech and he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to finish my master's at uh, Indiana and then, you know, probably go to law school and you get to work. And he said, well, what, what do you think about coaching? I said, I've thought about it some. He goes, man, you should come down to Texas Tech and finish your master's. Let me talk to my dad. And so he did. And then, you know, that flipped me. And then I went down to Tech to do that. And so yeah. but to be frank, I've never told this story for public, but that's why Mike and I didn't talk for a while because, you know, I think that was kind of like a shocking thing when I made that decision, but yeah. it's like when I thought I made one to coach, I mean, at that time tech was coming off a sweet 16 season and you can't not go work for coach to right, yeah, exactly. try to learn coaching and all that. So it was a great decision. So then when I went, even when I went down to Texas tech, I was like, well, I'm getting a free masters. I'm grateful for that. And I want to coach. And then about three months into that, AJ, I was like, I'm doing this. Like I'm trying to do this. Yeah. I made the choice to get my master's as fast as possible versus the extended version. Yeah. Uh, just so I could get into coaching. And I've, I've been, no, obviously this is a tough profession, but I've been so lucky, man. I've been unemployed for four days, man. We got fired once (laughs) out. I got on a rice with the same boss after, you know, this thing in Indiana was a little crazy, but Mm -hmm. they, they treated me good. And then this thing with Wes came here at, at Cincy. So Mm -hmm. uh, it's, there's been, it's been a lot of ups and downs, but I've been really lucky, man. And you've been able to be in the trenches with coach, like, you know, as far as being a grad assistant, and that's a a spot that not many people have had the opportunity to do. What, what lessons do you use today? What, what things did you learn from him that, that never leave you just from that experience down there as a grad assistant? The thing I always tell people about coach, and you know this because you you played for him for four years, is mm-hmm. he's an unbelievably organized, well he's his program is so organized. Like I knew exactly what I was supposed to do as a GA. He sat yeah. me down, Mike, you're responsible for this. You know, like I was supposed to work out at 13 guys a day. I just <laughs> right. finished playing. I was supposed to get these dudes in the gym. He gave me a couple dudes that were at risk academically, responsible for that. You know, Les Furtick was the ops guy, whatever Coach Furtick wants you to do, you're on it. And it was real simple, but it was really well thought out. Right. You know, a lot of stuff people don't know is like what people do with athletic academic advising now, like what Buzz Kirpius became like. Coach mm-hmm. kind of invented that. Right, yep. Uh, uh, and, yep. and so just the overall organization of his program and everybody underneath him understanding what their role was, uh, he was so on point with that. The other thing with coach that I always take is 
Um, he, everybody talks about this, but it's hard to do. I think I've never been around somebody that was better at having players play to their strengths and away from their weaknesses, right? Yeah. Like he would sit in the room and guys that were limited players, guys like me, to be honest, that were limited, say, hey, we got to get this guy to do these three things. Right. You know, like, and then play in a way that they could do that. So I learned a lot from him on that. And then the last thing is, and you know this, and unless you were in the gym, you can't understand this. I think one of Coach's biggest gifts was when he walked in the gym, man, the level of intensity and how hard everybody went. It's off the charts. Yeah, yeah. And when you try to just explain that on something like this, people don't get it. Uh, you know, you've been around basketball one time. Shoot, you played in the NBA. You played all over. My guess is there's no coach. Maybe there's an NBA guy, but I'd be shocked if there's somebody when they walk in the gym, it's like, all right, like everybody's level raised. Right. He had yeah. that presence about him. And I, look, yeah. I'm not comparing myself to him in any way. Yeah. But I think there's a way in which you carry yourself and you hold a standard with your guys that can help promote that, you know. Yeah. So Definitely. I learned that from him too. Everything was true, man. Uh, so you you end up going to UNC Greensboro, West Mill. How, how, how many years did you coach at Greensboro West? So I was there for almost eight years. Almost West. eight years. So, so West was my teammate at New Hampton. Uh, we took over a program that was in a tough spot. We, mm-hmm. we really struggled our first four years, AJ, to be honest. Yeah. We almost lost our job. Mm-hmm. And the, my last three years there with West, we won 25 games, won the league, went to the NIT, 27 went to the NCAA. We, we should have beat Gonzaga in the first round, but we, we messed it up at the end. Mm-hmm. And then we won 29, and we were the last team to not get that large. So oh, then okay. you know, he continued that uh, during during the last two years. So uh, it was a great experience, man. Uh, I, I, my memory of coaching those kids at UNCG will forever be etched in my mind. They were great kids. And it was, you kind of, you kind of know this probably like, you know, your brother played at Bradley is mm. it, it's a situation where we got a bunch of community support and everybody got behind us. But when we got there, man, there wasn't anything, you know, so right, it was kind yeah. of ground up and yeah. it, it was great because we were able to learn together and make a lot of mistakes. Um, yeah. uh, um, being young coaches experiment and trying to figure out how to build a program, but it was a great experience. Oh, it would look like it. I mean, I remember those uh, tournament teams, those teams that were post- supposed to make the tournament. It's, it's, it's always special to build anything from the ground up, man. And then I'm sure you keep an eye on it as you're, as you're navigating through college basketball. But uh, you ended up deciding to, to come on home to your alma mater for in 2018, I think it was. So it was the summer of uh, 19, AJ. Summer of 19. August. Okay. Yeah. August. So I got there in August of 19, I believe. Okay. I was there for two full seasons, uh, yeah. abbreviated off seasons, but, but yeah, yep. it was, uh, you know, Wes, uh, I wasn't, I turned down a bunch of other job offers at UNC when I'd been at UNCG. I mean, you and I ran each other on the road somewhere. I can't remember. I think maybe yep. you were at Loyola, Maryland. Maryland. I can't remember. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, I, I turned down a bunch of other stuff just cause I love working for Wes so much, but I mean, my alma mater is my alma mater. And, right. mm-hmm. uh, Archie and I had been talking all summer. I really liked him. You know, uh, Joe Pastor next to guy that, uh, had worked for Arch, um, okay. and, and so, you know, he, he said nothing but great things about him. Arch treated me great. I mean, it was a chance to coach in the Big Ten. I'm a modern man. I, could, I couldn't turn it down. I'd do it again, you know. Okay. Um, and, and it's it was the first job that I brought up to Wes. So he was like, hey, man, if you can get that one, like, go. Yeah, you got to. Yeah. You know, he got that. And so uh, came there in August. You know, I thought our first year we, we did a good job with that group. I mean, I know it wasn't what the fans wanted, but we were going to get in the tournament. And then, obviously, yeah. this last year was mm-hmm. – Let's call it what it was. It was disappointing. Yeah. I mean, you and I both know you can't go 12 and 15 at Indiana. And right, so, definitely. so, 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 you know, what happened, happened. Uh, I, I love Archie Miller, man. He, uh, he treated me so great, treated my family great. He's, he's as good of a dude as it goes, as, I mean, as it gets. I wish, you know, I wish I'd have done more to help him. Uh, yeah. You know, this is, this has been a humbling year 
from the standpoint of, you know, when I came to Indiana, I'll be frank, my hope was to never leave. I mean, I'd have been yeah. an assistant Indiana to the day I died if they keep me. Right. But, yeah. but uh, um, you know, we, we didn't get it done and what happened happened. And I think things happen for a reason. You know, this opportunity at Cincinnati is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It's another great job with a ton of basketball tradition. And so, you know, here I, here I am, but yeah, I mean, it'll, I'll go down. I'll be an old man disappointed about, you know, how this went. Uh, you know, I know the fans are disappointed, but I promise you no one's more disappointed than how it went than me. Right. <laughs> you, you know. Do you, do you think it was, uh, you know, more of a result of COVID? Um, you know, it was just bad timing? Uh, I think, know. yeah, I think there was a lot of factors that uh, contributed to it. I think the COVID mm-hmm. thing made it tough, but, hey, everybody's doing COVID, so let's not yeah, say everybody's doing it right. I, you know, I think Joey Bunk's back injury yeah, uh, was a more significant thing than people thought because yeah. uh, I thought that Trace and Race had very productive good years, but I thought yeah. a lot of times at the end of games, uh, they were very fatigued from lack of depth. Yeah, And that's not an excuse, man. Other people deal with it. We didn't get it done, but I thought that didn't help us. Uh, and I thought that, you know, all teams that didn't get it done could have this conversation. So I'm not sitting here. Right, right. On, you know, but look, I, like you look at the games, right? Like we had Florida State, we didn't get it done. Yo. We had Wisconsin at the road, on the road. We had a point blanker layup to win it. We didn't get it done. Right. You know, we had a really good chance to beat Illinois at home. Uh, we were up six with the last media, didn't get it done. You know, uh, we were up 10 or nine on Michigan State going into the last 10 minutes at home, uh, you know, which was the start of that losing streak. So, a combination of some injuries. Uh, and when we had some of those injury problems, like when Joey was out and Armand was out, um, every single sub for a stretch was a freshman. Um, and, and so that's tough in the Big Ten with an old mm-hmm. league with experienced teams. And But, but I'm mean, look, I'm not here to make like some grand excuse. We, we, like we all know what, what the standard is there and, and we didn't reach it. And I'm sorry that I couldn't help to do better. No, I mean, hindsight is always twenty twenty, and our, our reflections are what make us better as coaches and players. So, you know, he's just asking from a standpoint of, you know, what could we have done better at that time? So we don't make those same mistakes, but things happen. Like I said, it's a perfect storm of things, of, of everything wrong that could happen to to have a team that, that's right there, right there, and just kind of collapse at the end. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, it, it led to what happened next. Uh, it, eventually, Mike Woodson comes in. And I was always, you know, thinking that, you know, Indiana, after the last couple coaches, I said, you know, I think we need a former player uh, that can really, really galvanize the fan base, that can really bring hope and bring, not just bring, you know, I don't want people to think you want to bring Bob Knight basketball back to Indiana. That's not what I always thought. I just thought it, you know, you, it's almost like a family member come and take over mom's house. You know, you know, my family member is going to take care of it better than you if you sold it to somebody random person. They might turn it into a gentleman's club, uh, but but you would take care of mom's crib. So that's yeah. how well, I was thinking. But what was your thoughts initially uh, when they decided, or you heard? Because a lot of people don't understand. Y'all know the coaches know stuff weeks before the people know. Yeah, yeah. So once you start hearing the rumblings, man, and, and you thought it could happen, what were your initial thoughts about bringing in Coach Woodson? I mean, I'll be frank, obviously selfishly, I was hoping it was somebody that was a former player that would give me the best chance to stay on. Exactly. You know what I mean? Because I, I didn't have it. So, I mean, I'm just full transparency. That's what I was hoping. Uh, I didn't know Coach Woodson well. Uh, I'd met him a few times. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was around right before we took a job with the Pistons after my freshman year at Indiana. And, uh, you know, Coach Woodson and I have a mutual friend in Larry Brown. Larry Brown used to come spend weeks with Coach Miller and I at UNCG uh, and kind of, 
just basically eval our program, basketball genius. So that was kind of like a common friendship we had. And uh, I, I think it's a good decision, man. He, Coach Woody's a great guy. Mm -hmm. He treated me great uh, in the transition. I got no ill will towards him. You know, the, the university and Coach Woodson were kind enough to create a position for me, which, I mean, I would have crushed to the best of my ability. But then this thing mm -hmm. since he came along and my goal is to become a head coach. So right. mm -hmm. I think that staying in a coaching role at a big time spot like this gives me the best chance. But Woody's great, man. Like he's a, he treats everybody with respect. He knows ball from all those years in the NBA. You know, you travel around the country, probably because of the NBA experience, people know him everywhere, you know, like he's, he's known throughout the country. And I think, I think he'll do a great job. I do. Definitely. Definitely. And, you know, all the players came back and a lot of people decided to come back and be a part of IU basketball. Armand Franklin obviously left. But, but thinking about that point, man, you've been in this a long time. What, what is this transfer pool doing to college basketball? What is it? How, how difficult, much more difficult is it making your job as an assistant? It's in the last 24 months, the whole dynamic has changed, AJ, yeah. from the mm -hmm. standpoint of, look, we're fortunate in Cincinnati because when Coach Miller got the job, they only had three scholarship players. Now he right. was able to get some guys back. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, we've been working the portal like crazy. You know, we've got yeah. our scholarships filled and, you know, five years ago, you couldn't do that. So there's right. pros yeah. to it too, if you're being yeah. honest. True that. But, but it's also, I think it makes it complicated to quote unquote, I hate this term, like program build, right? Like yeah. mm -hmm. make sure you've got continuity within your program. And I think it makes you as a coach really think about the role without even necessarily having getting the guys to prove it on the court in the fall and the early season, what roles guys are going to have because mm -hmm. you can't have like back in the old days, you could have 12 guys that were good enough to play that thought they could play and maybe manage it and survive it. Mm -hmm. Now, if you got 12 guys that all expect to have a huge role and you don't tell them on the front end what you think their role is going to be to a degree or create some understanding, you're going to have a mass exodus maybe. Mm -hmm. right. uh, and, and so I think you've got to do a lot more thinking about roster management and what roles are going to be leading into the season and having really frank conversations with the kids and the people around them about what you see their role as being. Now, obviously, if they – it's not set in stone. You know, if you play well, you, that can change, you know, and it's right. always a fluid thing. We all know that. But I think the other piece to it is when you sit here and look at what this has become now, maybe the most valued kid you could get AJ is a kid that just finished his freshman year and is a good player. And it's in the transfer portal. Cause if you right. think about it, then he probably can't transfer the second time. Right. right. Yep. Mm -hmm. You're probably going to have him for three years. Right. Which in the modern world, you know, we used to all think four years and I mean, I never, I didn't play it. I never thought about leaving hardly, you know what I mean? Right, yeah, like definitely. that wasn't, you know, like yeah. and now that's just the, the, the common thing. So I think finding kids that, you know, you're going to have for three years to create some continuity in your program. Cause you know, all these talent upgrades are great and getting great players is the whole deal, but you better have a core group of five to seven guys in your program that know how you do things, know what their right. values are, know what the head coach expects knows how to, you know, I mean, that's why the old team, that's why Baylor won it, man. I mean, yeah, Baylor yeah. and Gonzaga, you know, there's there's teams that have better talent than Baylor. I respect yeah. them. But, like, they were old and they knew what they were doing. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, old wins. You know, you can say all this you want. I mean, some of these teams that have lived on uh, one and dones, sometimes you catch lightning in the bottle and, and those guys are so good and they're transcendent players. But those teams can also get killed because, look, 22, 23-year-old guys that are – fringe NBA EuroLeague players can beat a 
18 year old McDonald all American doesn't know what this is all about. I mean, you know what that's like. I mean, basically your team was that, you know, it was you and a bunch of guys that were fringe guys, but you guys were old. You could beat them. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's a great point. I didn't even even think about that. And also on along those lines, do how do you think paying college players is going to have an effect on the college game or even recruiting, if any at all? Because I know that's coming. So, yeah. So, I mean, that that is no pun intended. Like, that's the million dollar question, right? Like, it's (laughs) so it's going to really impact recruiting. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, the NIL name, image, and likeness. I mean, I'm of the opinion that the kids should be able to make money on their name, image, and likeness. I I believe they should. You know, you're selling out Assembly Hall, for example. And, you know, I don't know how many million one game brings in, but I know it's you know, it's some good money. And right, yeah. why can't a kid make some money off his name, image, and likeness? But then the thing that gets complicated is how that really impacts recruiting and mm-hmm. then to a degree how that impacts them still being able to do what their responsibility is uh, right. at the university they're at. Right, you, right. You can't be missed in practices and workouts to go do what you got to do with your NIL. But yeah. I think it can all be navigated. I'm yeah. of the opinion, AJ, that everything should basically uh, come above board from the standpoint of openly discussion the sponsorships with these guys, letting these guys have an ability to make money off a of name, image, and likeness through social media. And even to be frank, being able to discuss an agent that they've agreed to or have a relationship with before they even get to college. Right. Uh, And I know that's maybe not a popular thing, but let's be honest, the top players, if they don't have an agent coming into college, their family's got somebody that's probably going to be their agent. Right. So Mm -hmm. let's just bring it all above board and talk about it. Right. Yeah. And and try to get somebody on the same page. Um, But I'm not answering your question exactly, but I think all that needs to happen. Um, And I do think these kids, I think there's, you know, three main ways that these kids should be able to make money. Uh, if they want to do some type of merchandise is like AJ Guyton, yep. you know, T-shirts or whatever, yeah, yeah. they should be able to do that. Mm-hmm. If the kids want to make money off the social media platform, posting things for mm-hmm. advertisements or whatever, if they have a number of followers, they should be able to do that. And if they want to be able to run uh, AJ Guyton basketball camp, while they're a student athlete, they should be able to do that. And I think the thing that's key is there's got to become really transparent communication between the people that are helping the athletes do that and the compliance department, the athletic department. Because you think about simple things like, okay, you're going to run your basketball camp in the summer and you got workouts. Mm-hmm. So like, all right, let's all get on the same page so that we can do both. Right. Because it can be done. Or like, all right, you've got this, so, you know, there's there's this program called Open Doors that a lot of people are using that I use using it and we're probably using it at Cincinnati uh, that, that allows kids to basically be sent direct messages if like I want to post like, for example, a Buffalo Louis ad or whatever, you know, based upon my followers, it tells me how much money I would get for posting this. Right. Yeah. And the way I understand it is that would also go directly to compliance because I mean, there's a compliance piece. So just everybody's on the same page about it. Everything's above board. Everybody can communicate about it because I do think that it's only fair that the kids should be able to make money on their name, image, and likeness. I believe that's the fair thing. Definitely. Yeah. I agree with that. I didn't look at, I love those three, those three ways of make money. I look back, I was like, sure. I could have made good little money off my little Jersey sign. Oh, you make some money for sure. <laughs> sign some cards or whatever, but uh, you know, the experience you can't replicate. And once again, everybody, I'm talking to Mike Roberts, one of our former players, uh, Indiana University, former coach, man. We wrapping it up here. The last thing I will ask you, Mike, is 
you made it very, very clear that you want to be a head coach. And I think it is, I think the opportunity is coming. I think you deserve to be a head coach. You even had to kind of move away from your alma mater, go back full circle with Coach West Miller at Cincinnati to keep pursuing that goal. Uh, what 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 do what should university expect to get from Mike Roberts as their head coach? Well, I think the thing you get if I get the opportunity to be a head coach is I think you'll get uh, consistency. You're going to mm -hmm. know what you're going to get. Um, I think I've become a really elite defensive coach um, mm -hmm. from all the different people I've worked with. Yeah. And I, I think the other thing is people have to understand that I understand in the modern climate this, this is about the student athletes. You know, I'll yeah. be able to create a really close relationship with them. Uh, this is about relationships now more than ever. This isn't, this isn't back when you and I played and they have, I understand that the dynamic is different and, and, and I can manage it. And, and I've been around winners my whole life. You know, I, I think since I've been 14 years old, I'm 41, I've been around high level basketball and I, I think I'm ready for the opportunity. I'm hopeful to get one. Yeah. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate it. I thank you for being willing to share your story here on the house of Hoosier podcast, man. You, you, uh, you did a great job last year. You did a great job in your two years at, at IU. You did a great job at, during your playing days. And, you know, it's like I said, I, I, I told you that before, you know, glad you did continue on a path to become a head coach. I, you know, that's your goal. That should be your goal, no matter if you're alma mater or not your alma mater. If, if it's meant to be, you'll be back full circle. If it's not, cool. You'll be competing against them, having fun. Um, <laughs> basketball has been good to me. Yep. Indiana yeah. University has been good to me. So uh, appreciate you having me on, man. If you're down in the Cincy area, let me know. I definitely will, man. That concludes our podcast with Mike Roberts. Thank you, man. We appreciate it. We'll be supporting you. We'll be supporting you. Appreciate it.